Truth Espresso, episode 122. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. <laughs> and now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. <sighs> this is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hello, this is Daniel Minnick, and welcome to Truth Espresso. And I'm joined by my sweet, beautiful co-host, uh, my wife, Chelsea. And we have uh, a special treat for you for this uh, Monday episode of Truth Espresso. This is actually going to be kind of our first listener question answered on this episode. Now, this is a actually a friend who is listening to Truth Espresso. So someone that I knew from college and and she asked this uh, question and we're going to uh, do our best to answer the question for this episode and sweetheart are we ready to handle our very first listener question here on Truth Espresso. Yeah, this is exciting, and hopefully we can provide some insight for this question. Yeah, so God willing, we'll do our best here to answer your question and make all your dreams come true, or something like that. But <laughs> So what is the question that our dear listener has sent in? But basically, this question is about what does it mean by the milk and meat of the world? So there are a few passages in the Bible that talks about milk and meat and basically the idea that some people were supposed to be mature enough to eat meat, but the apostle still has to feed them with milk because they're like babies. And the idea, or at least uh, what some people explain this to be, is that um, the milk is basic theology or basic Bible comprehension and stuff like that, which, you know, there is some truth to that understanding. But strong meat, when you know, as someone matures in the Christian faith, strong meat is the idea that their ability to have better reading comprehension, better understanding of doctrine, like, you know, at some point you should be uh, approaching seminary level understanding or you should be able to to understand Bible grammar more deeply, uh, things like that. Sweetheart, have you heard pastors preach on these texts and explain them this way? <laughs> yes, um, when we got that question at first, I wasn't quite sure where that was headed, but then when we got a little more information, I was like, oh, I have heard that before, where pastors have taught that the milk is for the more immature or babe Christian, and it's more of your, like, Sunday school type of topics, mm. like, you learn the flannel graphs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> very simple, very easy, basic and then if you um, are stuck in that level, then you're a carnal Christian and 
basically that's a sin. And the meat eating Christian is a person that likes bacon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They're the ones that are more into studying in depth, like Greek and Hebrew. And like you said, basically becoming a seminary student or learner. And that proves like the maturity of your Christian faith. Mm. And I was like, wow, that's really a lot of pressure (laughs) on Christians to have to feel like they have to do so much study. And like at that level, I just don't think that those verses are probably not saying that. So Mm. I think it will be a really interesting topic for us to discuss on this episode. Oh, yeah, for sure. One of the examples and kind of from the listener question is like kind of an example is uh, the different Greek words for love. I'm sure the idea here is that strong meat is more like understanding that when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me three times, that the third time he used a different Greek word. And, you know, I've heard that preached a lot of times, you know, I'm I'm sure there is something significant to you know, to the fact that Jesus asked Peter the third time, do you phileo me versus other two times, do you agapo, agapo me, you know, so agape and phileo, the, you know, whole aura surrounding that discussion. And what did Jesus mean by asking him phileo and stuff? So the listener is asking, is this what milk and meat means? Because I've heard this preach before, like milk of a word would be, you know, to learn the basic story about Jesus and Peter. And he asked him, do you love me three times? Where the meat would be more like understanding the nuances of the different Greek uses of love and how they apply in different contexts. And so having that kind of word study or ability to apply doctrine and get maybe even come up with three points in a poem, you know, that kind of thing, you know, creativity application in the word. And sure, you know, when it comes to if you've been a Christian for a long time and you read the word of God and find more application, you can learn doctrines deeper and stuff, but I'm not disagreeing with any of that. So the question is, what really does the milk and meat of the word mean? And there are three basic passages that talk about milk and meat. And so, sweetheart, as we look at these passages, look at the verses, and look at the context of them, you know, do you think we're going to find things about understanding agape and phileo, or, you know, uh, nuances of doctrine as it's more like how many angels can dance in the head of a pin, or you think it's... (laughs) it's going to be something else. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely think we're going to find that these verses are talking about something a little bit different than what we have heard and that we've discussed already. Okay, so here are three verses that refer to it. The first one is in 1 Peter 2.2, which says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, So that's one of them. So 
it seems like here Peter is talking about people that as a baby, you know, you should desire the milk of the word. So possibly, you know, it seems like he's saying desire the milk of the word as a baby. Now, maybe he's telling people who are babes, you know, all right, you people who are babies, you know, you should desire the milk and that helps you grow. I don't know if he's in any way knocking on people that they're babies when they should be grown, but other passages will. Another one is First Corinthians 3 verse 2, where the Apostle Paul says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. <laughs> so, Paul is complaining that people haven't been growing up and he has to keep feeding them with milk when he prefers to feed them with meat. Hebrews 5.12 says, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. So the writer to the Hebrews, that we don't know for certain who wrote it, but he seems to have the same issue there as Paul says, you know, I have to keep feeding you people milk when, you know, it's high time that you're starting to eat some solid food here, you know. Uh, you know. So it seems like on first reading here, like <laughs> the writers here want to give people some solid doctrine, you know, some more complex doctrine, and yet he has to keep getting down to the four spiritual laws with them, you know, like, do I have to keep explaining the gospel here? You know, can I get down to agape and phileo here with you guys? <laughs> or, you know, um, can I explain on the doctoral level what the hypostatic union is? You know, <laughs> is that what he's talking about? Now, I'm, I'm someone who likes doctrine and going deep into it, so I'm not someone who would be at first at cursory thought antagonistic to the way <laughs> our listener friend here has brought up the issue here you know because i myself like doctrine but i also like reading things and understanding them in context so doing that reading these verses with discernment what is peter what is paul what is the writer of the hebrews talking about and as I've read these passages and looked at the surrounding verses, I don't see anything related to understanding the words like deep grammar or, you know, seminary type stuff here. What I see are calls to unity. <laughs> so point number one, we have two points here that are kind of related, but point number one, all three of these passages seem to be about correcting unnecessary division and calling people to unity now i don't mean unity as an ecumenism and like saying who cares about anything we all agree about jesus so let's just love jesus without discerning anything you know that's not what it's talking about you need to have discernment about truth but the first point here is that all these verses they seem to be talking about stop causing unnecessary divisions stop fighting you know you need to be united and not fight over things you shouldn't be fighting about. <laughs> 
Like the infamous example, the <laughs> paint color of the church. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You shouldn't be fighting about what color the carpets are or, you know, um, what brand of, of pew to buy or whether you should have um, seats that rock back or pews or, you know, things like that. Or <laughs> what color the piano keys are? White. No, it's good. <laughs> um, you know... <laughs> I don't know why I thought of that, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so where people are bickering and fighting over unnecessary things, it shows a lack of maturity, and it, that's what it seems to be that these passages are talking about. So we read First Peter 2, 2, now let's read verses 1 through 5 and see what exactly this milk is about. So it says, starting in verse 1, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile or deceit and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if so be you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now talking about this Lord, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disavowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. So you have that one precious Lord that they all serve. Now verse 5, you also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So here we have this idea that they are to offer up sacrifices but not burnt offerings these are talking about their sacrifices of conduct of loving jesus together so you know it says that you are living stones and you're built up a spiritual house so stones built up a spiritual house one house they're all together and that's the point that peter's making so as you drink the milk as you desire the milk that you may grow thereby and you taste that the lord the one lord is gracious he's precious and your living stones built up a spiritual house now further down in the passage there's stuff talking about conduct but here it seems to be talking about unity and compared with the world where the world the stone that the builders rejected has become the head of the corner they stumbled at that stone but you believe in christ now you're built up a spiritual house so it seems like the first peter passage is talking about unity here <laughs> What are your thoughts on these passages to kind of, when I picture like when he's saying newborn babes and you think of a newborn, I know mm. sometimes our kids like to pretend like they're babies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> cute and funny. But <laughs> they're like still wanting to do big kid stuff and we're like, but no, babies just lay there. They don't do much. <laughs> But it just reminds me of when he, Peter's saying, like, you're like newborn babes that they just lay around. They aren't actively mm. doing something. They're yes. not engaging in the church. Oh, yes. And when you're just laying around, like, feed me whenever <laughs> I start crying. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah, exactly. It's just that picture of that complacency that that's when all the division starts to come up because you have all this free time on your hands to start causing yeah, gossip, gossip and, and yeah. yeah bickering and fighting and yeah <laughs> and you start thinking like 
oh, I never noticed. Like that wall looks really ugly right there. <laughs> or, But if you're busy building up the people, you're helping, you're engaged in the community, at the church, like doing things for Christ, then you don't have time. You're not sitting around just looking at all these things that could become divisions. So do you think that's oh. kind of on the right track there? <laughs> yeah, I think so. You know, the, you know, you should be busy, not a busy body. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like, uh, say, yeah, uh, if you've been going to church for years, you know, you've been a Christian for years and yet you haven't looked for any way to serve others. You know, you just want to go there to be entertained, go there to be, you know, even fed milk. Like I just want to go there and soak up some basic, you know, sermon, you know, and feel, feel all good. spiritual <laughs> Because you go there and you listen to a sermon, but you have no desire to serve in any capacity. And when you go there, you're looking at other people and like, oh, I can't believe they're look at they're wearing a T-shirt or oh, like, don't they have anything better to wear? Or, oh, I can't believe, you know, look, they look so proud when they come in and oh, they're the perfect family. Why can't I, you know, be the perfect family like they are gossiping and envying as uh, uh, Peter talks about malice, evil speakings. So that's the activity of a, a baby in a, an adult body. <laughs> You know, so Christians who are should be more mature, the more mature Christian is one who avoids the kind of evil speakings and malices, malices and hypocrisies and deceits. Because if you're busy doing things, you're busy acting out Jesus Christ for others in church, looking for avenues to serve and to give, then you're not going to be causing divisions and strifes. <laughs> yeah, as you said, sweetheart, they have all this free time to cause trouble <laughs> when you could be using that time serving. And that's what a mature Christian would be, that you desire the milk that you may grow. But once you grow, you don't need the milk anymore. You have strong meat. You're discerning. You're living out that unity that Jesus Christ, you're working to build up that as a living stone built up that spiritual house and offer sacrifices that are acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. <laughs> Sorry, this just reminded me <laughs> no. a little bit of our conversation with our older kids tonight, just talking about, think about what we do with our time, oh, yes. and are we spending our time doing things that don't really matter for eternity? Are we doing things that could actually help people, encourage people, like, and just thinking of that, okay, what we do will be acceptable to Christ when we are in heaven. And for some reason, that verse just reminded me of our conversation with them tonight. It was really sweet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks for that, sweetheart. And now our second passage, 1 Corinthians 3, where the Apostle Paul is complaining about having to feed with milk and not with meat. What is the context there? We'll see a similar strain of thought there. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, reading verses 1 through 4, it says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. So there's a link there to being a baby and being carnal. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not 
carnal, and walk as men. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? So here we see another first Peter is talking about the unity of being built up as living stones, built up a spiritual house to offer sacrifices. That's talking about the conduct of maturity and unity here. Same with Paul and the Corinthian church had their problems for sure. <laughs> the, uh, the long 16 chapter epistle of 1 Corinthians, you know, Paul had to address quite a few serious issues going on in that church that seemed to demonstrate that these Corinthians lacked a lot of maturity. You know, they were certainly blessed by God, even with spiritual gifts. But they they had problems with maturity, so they kept on having to have milk, and they were not discerning for meat. The Corinthians were causing unnecessary divisions over factions and cults of personality, and one thought his opinions were more relevant than someone else's based on the authority of who converted them. So this is unnecessary, you know, divisions. In the first chapter, Paul opens a addressing that, talking about, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. And he asked, was Paul crucified for you, or are you baptized in the name of Paul? Basically, like, what's the deal with it? This is completely unnecessary. It's all about Christ. Christ was crucified. So the unity is in Christ. We serve Christ, not Paul or Apollos. And it doesn't matter by whom you were converted. You're converted to Christ. So it's all about the context seems to be with being fed with milk and not with meat is that these Corinthians were acting like children in their conduct by causing unnecessary divisions. <laughs> I don't know why. Sometimes these verses just remind me a lot of our kids. Yikes. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, they're kids. <laughs> I know. Remember I was telling you the other day, the girls were kind of fighting over, yeah. you're mommies and you're, I'm mommies, you're daddies. <laughs> I'm of Paul, I'm yes. of Apollos, I'm moms and you're dads. Yeah, because you know, so. they didn't want to share it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I'm at work and so they're fighting over mom's attention and <laughs> stuff, but you know, our oldest girl is like, I'm mom's and telling the youngest, you're dad. So in other words, hey, I get mom now. You're, you're left high and dry right now. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, okay, we expect, we expect that. that from our kids. It, but here Paul has to deal with this with adults and yes. people that he's like, I should be feeding you meat. And look, it, we have to come back to the basics here yeah. and kind of regroup and be like, all right, kind of get our act together here. Yeah. <laughs> so does any of this sound like what Paul is talking about? Understanding the Greek words for love or you know, <laughs> parsing grammar or something like that? <laughs> No, but I'm like, I agree yeah. with you too that there's kind of a balance there yeah. where it's, it's not talking about that. It's not saying like, mm. that's how you measure your Christian faith is if you can now understand Greek words, like mm. now you're the mature Christian. Like that's not how we measure yes. maturity. But I think to some extent, as you're maturing, like you said, there's that natural desire to learn more oh, and yes, to sure. <laughs> dig deeper. And that's just part of that maturing process. 
mean, just even when we look at our kids and you see like you're first teaching them letters, the letter sounds, and then eventually they can start putting the blends together and then they start reading and then they want to start investigating their own information and doing Mm. book reports like it's a progressive thing and you can't just jump from one to the other. But I think with when it comes to God's word, there's just that natural desire to keep digging and to go deeper. Mm-hmm. But it's not this yeah. weight of <laughs> you have to be like this and <laughs> to this extent to be a good Christian or a mature Christian. Like, yeah. So a mature Christian will be able to learn things like yeah. <laughs> agape and phileo, <laughs> but the conduct, the uh, disunity comes first. <laughs> you know, that is primarily what Paul's talking about it seems in the context with milk and meat because they're carnal not unlearned in seminary doctrine or grammar they're carnal as babes you know so the solution according to paul comes down to the end of the chapter against their disunity there he says in verses 21 through 23 therefore let no man glory in men For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And ye are Christ's and Christ is God's. So he's trying to put to rest their whole, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas. Like, okay, all this is yours, you know, <laughs> you, no one owns one of those or no, you know, it doesn't matter who converted Look, we're all yours. Okay. Here's the unity. You're all Christ's, you know, get over it, you know, and, you know, unify on what's essential here. <laughs> so yeah, there's a solution to that argument there. So now the third passage Hebrews, similar idea here, and we'll see what the context of this milk and meat here is. What do you think it's going to be about? (laughs) I think it's going to be similar to the other two passages. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) I don't know. Can I answer that since I looked at it already? (laughs) Oh, sure, sweetheart. (laughs) Yeah, I think that there is a similarity. Okay, well, let's find out. Hebrews five twelve through 14. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and of not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. And I think that's important there. For he is a babe, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. (laughs) So not discern the difference between agape and phileo, but discern both good and evil. Their senses, they have reason of use to have their senses exercised, you know, and the Greek word for this is senses. (laughs) You know, literally thinking about your five senses, your ability to perceive in every capacity and exercised, it means, you know, like you're training. So the idea is Paul's once again with the Corinthians referencing kind of the Olympic Games here having all of their body's capacity trained and disciplined to discern both good and evil. (laughs) So if someone has strong meat here in this aspect here to discern both good and evil, 
then you think they would be kind of on the same page a lot of times here. They wouldn't be fighting over petty things. If you discern what's good and what's evil, having your senses disciplined, then you're not going to be in strong disagreement over, you know, the color of the carpet or something like that. (laughs) Or fighting over, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, you know, things like that. That has nothing to do with good and evil. With your senses disciplined, you're training for the Olympics. You know, that's what it seems to be the maturity here. The strong need is someone who has trained their senses to know what's good and evil, their conduct, (laughs) and not be quarreling over, you know, this is the first principles of the oracles of God and the word of righteousness, which I think that has to do with conduct (laughs) you know what do you think sweetheart does it seem like this is an agreement the other two passages yeah (laughs) and i think that again it just reminds me of just how god like throughout scripture keeps telling us to remember his commandments and that the whole reason he gave the ten commandments to the israelites was to help them discern good and evil and understand that and I think that so often we tend to think, oh, that's Old Testament or, oh, I don't know. We kind of just minimize the Ten Commandments and don't really think about them too much. But I think some of the passages like in Deuteronomy, how it tells us to teach our children the Ten Commandments or the commandments when you're sleeping, when you're waking, like you're constantly instilling these truths and that discernment of good and evil in our children. And it helps us too as parents to continually discern good and evil as well. And that's because that helps us mature as Christians. And to me, that's some of my favorite discussions with you is when we have all these different circumstances come up that we see in the world right now. And we can sit down with each other and be like, okay, what do we think of this situation? How does this go against what God's word tells us? And we can come together like that unity. We come together and we discern what God's word says and what culture is saying and kind of weigh what is good and what's evil in the situation. And I think to me, that's one of the highlights of our days when we have those conversations of just like trying to come together and decide how we're going to approach this new situation that came up and like, okay, let's go back to God's word. He says, do not do this. Do not do this. Does that violate what God says? It does. Okay. Yeah, exactly. It's very black and white. (laughs) Yeah. And so the basic principles of the oracles of God, they're very basic. You know, a child can understand them Mm -hmm. and So someone who has strong meat is someone who can boil down complex issues of interpersonal relationships and society and stuff down to these basic principles. What are the underlying basic principles of the oracles of God? And that is discerning good and evil from complex webs of information and, you know, he said, she said, or whatever, you know, like, okay, let's figure out where are the underlying principles, what are they in these situations? And that's what strong meat is, you know. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25 Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another for his name's sake. 
What's up, everybody? I'm Jamal Bandy, the host of the Prescribed Truth Podcast, where I seek to distribute the truth that the doctor prescribes to the church and the world today. The Lord graciously brought me out of a cult in 2010, saved me in 2013, and in 2017, Prescribed Truth began. My mission has been to spread the truth of God's word while refuting dangerous lies affecting most churches and the culture at large from a biblical and reformed perspective. Join me on Sundays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for the live recording of the podcast on YouTube and download the audio version wherever podcasts can be found, including the Christian podcast community. If you would like to know more about Prescribed Truth, please visit my website at prescribedtruth.com. And remember, this world is full of errors, but the only thing that the doctor prescribes is truth. Blessings. So the first point about these passages, they all seem to be talking about solving unnecessary divisions, focusing on the unity that should be there, not talking about compromise and ecumenism here. We're talking about unity on around essentials and truth and not disunity around uh, petty things and fighting as immature people, immature Christians. So yes, now the second point, which we're starting to talk about is is that these passages all seem to be about maturity and conduct and discernment in good and evil. So not about understanding words and grammar, although that can come from a mature Christian, you know, but a mature Christian can study and learn that, but it's about maturity in conduct and discerning in good and evil. So going back to the first Peter passage, let's see some other verses in the context of that. So verse seven, it says, unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them, which be disobedient, the stone, which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And now verse 11 Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And verse 16, as free, recognizing that you're free in Christ, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. So here we go. The context is then about maturity of conduct. So abstain from fleshly lust. Recognize that the world treats Jesus. They reject him. First, we've established the unity around the truth of Jesus Christ. And then we recognize how our conduct should be in light of these principles. We abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against their soul, and we recognize there's a lot of liberty in Christ. We don't have to live under the bondage of, like, all these rules. The principles of Christ, the milk of the word, is very intuitive, you know. I mean, I know the human nature wants to do bad things, but the truth of God's word, the basic principles are very intuitive. And so the mature Christian can live this way, can understand the freedom and not use it for malicious intents, you know, so you can live free and mature and not use it as a cloak of maliciousness. So let's go to the Hebrews passage, see if there's similarity there. So verse 11 referring to Jesus, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you are dull of hearing. For when the time you ought to be teachers, 
And when he's referring to them as teachers, I don't think he means teachers of seminary level theology, you know, teachers uh, to be able to teach new believers the first principles. You have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God or become such as have need of milk. Everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. You know, we mentioned that before. And meat belongs to them that are of full age. So, yeah, their senses are exercised to discern both good and evil. That has to do with conduct again. And so a mature person should be able to teach others these first principles. They should be able to teach them to discern good and evil because they themselves are mature to discern good and evil. But, you know, say someone in the church who's still acting like a babe in Christ, you have to constantly remind them, like, why did you do that? You know, that's not Christ-like. Stealing, you know, you shouldn't steal. <laughs> Things like basic like that. And so now 1 Corinthians 3.3, 3, we mentioned for the 1 Corinthians 3 passage, for you are yet carnal. For the, whereas there's among you envying and strife and divisions are you not carnal and walk as men. So carnality. And yeah, the Corinthians seem to have amazing gifts of the Spirit they could speak in tongues and prophesy, but they acted like children with their bickering and fighting and envying and pride and lack of moral discernment. You know, like Peter says, put away all malice and envyings. And there's an example of immorality in chapter 5 where a man is having relations with his father's wife, you know, possibly his stepmom, you know, who knows that's interpretation there, but that's a lack of maturity that goes back to the first principles. They were bringing each other into Roman courts over petty offenses that Christians should be able to resolve among themselves in the church in chapter 6 of the Apostle Paul, showing their lack of maturity and discerning good and evil. It's like, I can't believe you did this to me. Let's go to court you know, over this because I, I have my right. I want this back from you. I want this back or, you know, well, it's mine by right. And so the only way they're going to resolve it is to go to court over it. And Paul's like, this isn't a good testimony. If this is such a little thing, you know, I think you could survive without it. Just consider it a gift, you know, to <laughs> it's better to have the testimony and the maturity rather than fighting over petty things, even to the point of suing each other over petty things and letting pagans determine where things should go go and stuff like that and so yeah, that's what paul i think is talking about here with this milk and meat you know if someone can take strong meat they're not going to be hauling each other into court whining like children fighting over toys <laughs> so i was thinking that we probably should clarify too that being a mature christian doesn't mean that we have all the answers or mm, yes that there isn't still room for growing. And I think that as you mature as a Christian, like it's kind of like the more you realize you don't know. But also as a mature Christian, you seek out the wisdom and counsel of other mature Christians as well. Yes. Because some things, they can be more difficult to discern. 
So just not thinking that you have to have all the answers or thinking other people have all the answers, but just knowing that as a mature Christian, you can seek and should seek the counsel and wisdom of other people as well. And I mean, it seems like it should be other mature (laughs) Christians that you seek the counsel from just because that would be more of that unity, like-mindedness. Yeah, I think you're uh, onto something there, sweetheart. Like, mature Christian would seek out other mature Christians. A mature Christian, yes, doesn't act prideful and say, you know, like, I have the answers. I don't have anything to learn. A mature Christian realizes that they do always constantly learning, constantly being challenged, but they have discernment of good and evil according to the basic truths. You know, they should be able to help new Christians and teach that to them. And say, a mature Christian, if they're wanting marriage advice, they seek out another mature Christian, you know, who's been married for a while, and they know that this person is mature and can give them advice on that, too. Rather, they don't seek someone who's just married and hasn't had counseling or something like that. Can you give me advice? You know, the <laughs> so maturity in the body of Christ, I think that's the context of what this is talking about and discerning good and evil. And yeah, I think there's uh, something to say about this. If a Christian is able to eat strong meat and not just be fed milk, I think that also goes as they understand the principles of Christ That also goes out even into how they conduct themselves or how they understand what Christianity should mean to the world, too. So kind of have something to say about, you know, (laughs) which I I hope that mature Christians will be able to understand where we're coming from here. Like, let's take the first principles of the oracles of God. As you mentioned, we are the Ten Commandments and be able to apply them into the sphere of the world and... What are our role in the world, you know, as we deal with conduct at work or even politics and stuff? Because I want to get into the politics of things. Like, how would the strong meat of Christian truth and what we understand about God's will, God's law, apply to the world? Because we talked about disunity here, and there's certainly a lot of disunity when it comes to the arena of politics, And now let's go back to the milk of the word here. So as babes, as young children, a small child, you know, is prone to cry and fight over petty things. You You have to reprimand small children after the fact frequently, you know, they might take something, you know, pull, yank something out of uh, their siblings' hands and, and you tell them, you know, that doesn't belong to you, or they had it first, they had a turn, whatever, you know, that was naughty. But you say that to someone who's taking the milk of the word, or you say something like that to a small child, it's not a one-time thing. You're going to be saying that over and over again, and I think that's what the apostles had in mind with feeding milk. They're totally dependent on it. They're not discerning. You have to keep giving it to them over and over did I not tell you this? You should know this, and yet you keep on doing it as if you don't know the basic, you know, you're like a small child that doesn't understand. You shouldn't steal. You don't take what doesn't belong to you. So it's like you remind a small child, remember, we don't steal. We don't take what doesn't belong to us. Remember, 
we don't hit other kids, you know. Remember, it's nice to share. Let him or her have a turn. You know, this is basic stuff that we teach to young children. So what about it, adults? What about it, Christian adults? How do we take these basic principles of the oracles of God and apply them to how we live our lives as adults with Christianity in mind? Are we able to take strong meat, which is to take the principles and apply them with discernment to discern good and evil? Or do we often think and act like babes who need to be reminded, need to be fed, milk. You know, remember, we don't steal. Remember, we don't hit. Those who are of age, as the writer of the Hebrews says, or maturity, walk according to the word of righteousness. They practice this morality in their life as if it's second nature, not lying, cheating, stealing, or starting arguments over petty things or how the meat eater lives by intuition. So meat eaters can discern various ways in which someone could violate what the writer of the Hebrews says, the first principles of the oracles of God. For instance, when a complex web of he said, she said surfaces, a meat eater can find their way through the details of that if lying, cheating, or stealing is at the root and that that act is wrong. Wait a minute, this problem, this situation ultimately boils down to someone hit or someone stole or someone lied or someone cheated. (laughs) Those are the principles, that's the basic milk, but this one who can take strong meat drills down through emotional complex situations of gossip and stuff down to Okay, who stole, who lied, who cheated, who, you know, who threatened to hit? <laughs> you know, let's get down to the root of it and not just go, oh, you know, I feel your pain, you know, you have the right to this, you know, like without think, wait, who owns it? Who. <laughs> The meat eater doesn't just simply look for a side to join, but always looks to exercise discernment. Do you think that it's important for people that are starting to mature and become like the meat eaters that it's not that they forget or they dismiss Hmm. the oracles or like the previous teaching? It's kind of that you're building on it. You're still remembering yeah, that the meat is eater is constantly reminding themselves of truth. Yeah, mm. um, the one who needs to be fed milk. It's like they gave the example. Remember, we don't steal. Like you know, as if their mind is not mature enough to live by that principle intuitively. You know, they conduct themselves naturally as someone who doesn't look to start arguments, doesn't look to take what doesn't belong to them. You know, lying, cheating, stealing. These first principles they they're not looking to do that they live by the idea it's ingrained into them (laughs) they don't even almost like they don't have to think about it now they're constantly reminded of they detect when there's things about lying cheating and stealing and stuff but they live intuitively by the principles of god that you know they don't they live naturally as someone who doesn't steal and lie and and cheat others and so on. They don't have to be like have someone like a parent to them. Remember, we don't take what doesn't belong to you. Remember, we don't threaten to hit or whatever. 
So with that being the case, then <laughs> it just makes me think of how important it is, especially in our roles of being parents, that we constantly instill these hmm. oracles or these principles in our children's lives. And it makes me kind of sad when kids are in I mean, I don't mean to bash public schools, oh, yeah. but when they're in some of these school settings and they're being taught the opposite yeah. of what God's word says. And I mean, even if you think about the new math, like mm. there isn't a black and white, true or false type of answer. Mm. They keep changing things to yeah. try and make it. <laughs> what does it mean to you? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And so it's like, okay, when the children should be learning to discern right and wrong and having those principles instilled in them constantly, and when we're sending our kids out and they're learning the opposite and learning how to rationalize Hmm. sinful behavior, then it's just, to me, it's just kind of sad and just a good reminder that it's so important for us as parents to really make sure we're instilling God's truth in them. Mm, yeah, that's exactly sweetheart. Yeah, it's like peer pressure in school to, you know, you dare to do the wrong thing. And then the teachers are often teaching them to think in ways that don't recognize these basic truths, you know, relativistic stuff. And so that doesn't help, you know, with having to be reminded of the milk, you know, having to be fed milk, you know. So now let's get into (laughs) the way Christians should take these principles and think of it in the realm of politics. I could mention in an episode I think it's uh, an episode I recorded earlier that will be released later. One of my driving episodes, The Truth Espresso Express, where I kind of give a little bit of my opinion about politics. But here we go. From the milk and the meat of the word applied to politics, how should Christians understand politics in light of the principles of God? Someone who eats strong meat and can apply the milk, <laughs> the, you know, someone who could apply, the, uh, who eats strong meat and could discern good and evil here. So, for example, we tell our kids, don't hit, don't take someone else's stuff. Sounds pretty simple, right? I mean, would we ever tell our kids, yeah, it's okay to hit them because, you know, you want that. Or, you know, it's okay to take that because you have a right to it because, you know, it'll make you happy. We intuitively understand as parents, we want kids to understand these basic principles. You know, it's wrong to hit. It's wrong to be the one who initiates aggression. And it's wrong to take what doesn't belong to you. But it seems that we as adults seem to think that if someone wears a special kind of funny hat or, you know, dons a certain colored uniform, (laughs) you know, that there are plenty of cases where these basic rules don't apply. We seem to think it's like this mature grown-up thing to engage in a low-intensity civil war every few years, also known as elections you know so to fight over who gets to steal from whom you know when you tell your kids don't take what doesn't belong to you but hey let's vote to take from other people and give to me or other people i think are worthy of receiving that you know and then so special people get to be the third party like politicians and police and so on 
who actually get this uh, sanctioned right to initiate violence to make our will happen. So let's apply this into the idea of, (laughs) you know, welfare programs. Now, I know people can be well-intentioned, but if you're well-intentioned about something like that, perhaps you have this milk-minded, you know, you need to be fed milk to be reminded rather than having the strong meat that can discern both good and evil. The Word of God says, Thou shalt not kill. You don't initiate violence. But what does that mean in light of believing that, oh, a majority of people can vote on something where they tax other people to pay for themselves or something else? Isn't that thou shalt not steal? Isn't that violating that? A meat eater can discern that thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, and thou shalt not covet applies to everyone, period. A meat eater can peer through all the narratives and the politics and see where the basics of thou shalt not kill and thou shalt not steal are being covered up or dismissed. A meat-eater can analyze propaganda about oppressor class and oppressed class and democracy and critical theory and, you know, all these buzzwords like that and theories and stuff and can, as the writer of the Hebrews says, by reason of use have their senses exercised or disciplined to discern both good and evil. They can ask if whatever these politics are of the matter— they can say that anyone has the right to steal. Do these politics, do these proposed ideas say that anyone has the right to steal or lie or aggress against anyone else? You know, so where the world might say, you know, say, for instance, you have something called Black Lives Matter. The world might say this is an oppressed class. You know, they have the right to riot and break property, burn buildings, go in, destroy, and steal things, because that's speech. (laughs) But then, on the other hand, someone says, speaks truth, and they say, oh, that's violence. Your words are violence. You know, it's like, okay, Christians, if you have, are able to take strong meat and discern good and evil, you should be able to see through these things and ask the question, does this violate the universal ideas of thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet? <laughs> like children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, as the Word of God says, Christians, if you're someone who needs to be fed milk, you can be led around by these various ideas that might grab a hold of your heartstrings and make you forget the first principles of the oracles of God, and forget the universality of them. You should be able to apply them. If you're someone who has strong meat, you know, who can eat strong meat, you can see through the fog of this kind of teaching and ask these basic questions. You can see the root of it. Does it violate? Thou shalt not steal. (laughs) Period. Do you have anything to say about this, sweetheart? Because I I know, like, I could get really 
more specific and challenge a lot of our Christian friends to really think about politics and realize that a lot of politics violates these principles here. Yeah, I think I kind of mentioned this scenario to you earlier, just looking at our history lesson with one of our kids this week and just having to explain some of the (laughs) stuff that even happens, like we were learning about being respectful of the flag and Hmm. just kind of talking about how people aren't respectful of the flag now when they, you know, before sports events, some people want to kneel down and show disrespect about the flag or how there's a paper going around in schools saying that you can sign this paper to not have your child participate in the Pledge of Allegiance at school. And I mean, there are just so many different things going on right now that really contradict what God's Word tells us and how we should conduct ourselves. And I just think it's, to me, that's kind of the fun part about homeschooling is that we can Hmm. teach our kids these basic principles and apply it to what's going on in the world too and help them start to become discerning and see like, okay, and they're so cute because they're so black and white and they yeah. see things like so quickly. Like, why would they do that? That's wrong or that's <laughs> yeah. murder. Or, I mean, they point out stuff so quickly. I think it's just so awesome. But yeah. it, I think it's hard because the media, the public, I mean, people portray the evil or their agendas <laughs> with such deceit and they make their side of it seem like, oh, but we're caring for these people. We're trying to help them. And so it takes a lot of that, like we've been talking about this whole time, that discernment of what is good and evil and kind of unraveling that web of, okay, what is actually going on here? Mm, And it takes work. Oh, yes. And I think that's part of this whole thing of not just laying back, being this infant, Mm -hmm. laying in the little bouncer seat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just la 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 and give me milk when I cry and yeah, yeah. but like actively engaging in life engaging in politics engaging in the world around us so we can share Jesus Christ with others and that's what God calls us to do Mm, yes, exactly. So we are. And thinking about taking the strong meat of Christianity who could d- d- discern good and evil into the world you can answer a lot of these questions about the politics of the world that Satan seems to be eyeing most of it with those basic questions. So, oh, the issue of abortion is a complicated personal issue. Wait, thou shalt not kill. There's the truth right there. How do we solve individual situations? You start with that and you work your way up through with how to care for people. Start off with thou shalt not kill, period. Oh, shall we fund this welfare program by taxing at whatever percent? Wait, let's ask the question. Thou shalt not steal. Therefore, does this authorize someone to steal from someone else? If it does... It's wrong, period. You can emote all you want and I could care less. You know, thou shalt not steal applies to everyone. Thou shalt not kill applies to everyone. I don't care what class you're in. I don't care if you're in the government or a citizen. All of the, (laughs) every single policy is subject to these basic (laughs) principles of thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not kill. (laughs) 
guys and meat you know, Christians who could understand it can eat strong meat can see through the fog of this and weigh everything in these basic principles, you know. Like a Christian should not be promoting tyranny. A Christian should not be promoting let's ask the question vaccine mandates? Wait, that's initiating aggression. Thou shalt not kill. <laughs> so, yeah, anything like that, where the media wants to feed you fog, where anyone wants to feed you the fog or, you know, confuse you about things, discerning good and evil, it's pretty basic. You take the basic principles of God and you're discerning by eating strong meat. <laughs> You can take all of these things, all of these questions, ask the basic questions. Does it violate this? Yes. Well, then it's wrong, period. (laughs) And if Christians really understood this, it makes politics a lot simpler. And to understand, you know, how Christianity should interact with the world, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense. It shows a lot of maturity and how Christians should demonstrate what it means to treat your fellow human, you know, according to the basic principles of God's law. And that's what I think it means in all these passages about strong meat versus milk. You know, you don't act like children, you don't initiate, you don't hit, you don't steal, you know. You don't cause unnecessary divisions. You engage in moral conduct according to what's basic intuition about right and wrong here. And and really, there are very few things that it's like, oh, this is a complex moral question. Is someone initiating violence? Is someone stealing? No one's authorized to do that at all. So that's the way a Christian should view things in the world and in the body of Christ. (laughs) So been going an hour at this, so I hope that this uh, helped answer our listeners' question about these passages about milk and meat. They have to do with unity, they have to do with moral conduct, and here's a, a good verse to leave with that. Ephesians 4.28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. So there's an example of how we should understand, you know, our conduct for each other. You don't steal, (laughs) you work and then you give, and that's how we should have welfare, that's how we should understand things. Nothing should be done by fighting or quarreling, nothing should be done by initiating violence or things like that. You want to meet needs? You meet them. You know, you do what you can, you teach others to do what they can, but there's no, Christians should not be ones to be expecting to point guns or having other people point guns for their will to be done. And, you know, I think that's (laughs) some good Christian strong meat maturity. (laughs) Stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Scresso, where we may answer some more listener questions. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. 
If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso. 